As Ronald walked towards his associate's house, he wondered how he could best describe why he was pulling out so early in the game. It had just been 12 days and already Ronald wanted out of the business. Despite the fact that he was the one who had made the logo for their business, had made the partnership agreement for them, and he was the one who had really come up with a lot of the ideas, he had already decided that he wanted to pull out of the new business. Ronald was so old in comparison to the two young whirlwinds in their 20s who wanted to change the world. And he could see that there was potential in this business, but there also would be a lot of stress, trials, and he didn't want to go through all of these things in such an old age. Furthermore, he'd already failed his slot machine business, and he was apprehensive to begin in another business endeavour. So Ronald decided that he would just have to tell his associates that he was pulling out of the business. So in 1976, Ronald Wayne sold his 10% stake in Apple Incorporated and received the equivalent of $9,600. Now, had he kept that 10%, he would have owned up to $60 billion as of April 2016. Many have viewed this as one of the worst deals in business history. Now, Ronald claims that uh, at the time, with the information he had, he made the best decision possible for himself. But many still think that this was such a terrible decision. If he had just kept that 10%, he would have up to $60 billion as of last year. In business, everything is about making a profit. And in doing so, you have to make the best deals. And one of the best ways to make a good deal or to make a profit is to buy high and sell low. This is a term often used in stock exchanges and it refers to when shares are low, buy them at a cheap price and then when they increase in value, you sell them for a higher price in order to turn a profit. So while that's often a term used in stock exchanges, it really can be applied to any business model. Anyone who wants to make a profit uh, will produce their product or will buy the product they're selling at a low price and then sell it to the consumer at a higher price. It's just how business works. An easier explanation to think of is in a game of Monopoly. Uh, when you are playing a game of Monopoly, you want to accumulate the biggest profit in the game amongst all the players, just like a business. And in order to do so, you have to buy all the different properties. Now, as you go around the board, the ones at the very beginning are of the least value. They're the cheapest ones. They're not going to do a whole lot for you. And then as you go around and you get towards the end, they increase in value and until you get to this very last one, a blue one, which is of the most value. Now, imagine if, so, if a player who owned the blue one decided to trade his property for the very first property in the game. Imagine if he was to trade the piece uh, that was of the most value, value in the game for a property of the least amount of value in the game. That's an example of buying high and selling low, giving away something that is of immeasurable value and exchanging it for something of low value. There's no sense in buying high and selling low. It's a poor business model. And many view Ronald Wayne's decision as one such uh, mistake of buying high and selling low. 
Now, whilst many regard Ronald Wayne's as one of the worst business decisions in history, we're going to explore an example of someone who was willing to buy high and sell low and made one of what I think is the worst trades in history. So in order to find out what this is, let's turn to Genesis chapter 25. Genesis chapter 25, and we can begin to see what this terrible trade is, this example of someone willing to buy high and sell low. Genesis chapter 25. And just to set a bit of context, we'll establish who the characters in the story is. Because in order to properly understand a person's motives and their decisions, you have to understand a little bit about their character and personality because that's what influences those decisions. So we begin with two, uh, a couple, uh, Isaac and Rebecca. They're a married couple and they want children. Unfortunately, Rebecca is barren and cannot have children. So they pray to God for a child and then Rebecca becomes pregnant with twins. And the two twins are called Jacob and Esau. These are our two main characters in the story, Jacob and Esau. Now we can read a little bit about their personalities if we begin in verse 26. Uh, in verse 27. So the boys grew, and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a mild man, dwelling in the tents. And Isaac, their father, loved Esau because he ate of his game. But Rebekah, their mother, loved Jacob. So already you can see a little bit of their personality types. Esau, he's a hunter, he's a man of the field. He's probably a bit more aggressive and abrasive and as we'll see a little while on, probably not as cluey or as intelligent as his younger brother, Jacob. Jacob, on the other hand, he's a mild man. He's probably a bit more timid. And it seems as though he's a little bit more intellectual. He's a little bit smarter. And that's probably why his mother prefers him as opposed to his rough and gruff uh, older brother, Esau. So let's begin uh, reading about this bad exchange in verse 29. Now Jacob cooked a stew, and Esau came in from the field, and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, Please feed me with that same red stew, for I am weary. Therefore his name is called Edom, which just means red. But Jacob said, Sell me your birthright as of this day. Now what is the birthright is something we're going to uh, unpack now. But let's just set the scene. Jacob, uh, Esau has come home from hunting, and he's had no success. He's been hunting all day, he's brought home nothing, and he's exhausted. He's hungry, he's thirsty. And so Jacob is cooking this stew outside their tent. And Jacob sees an opportunity to make a bit of a profit here. He has something that Esau desperately wants. Esau wants the stew. He's hungry, he's exhausted. And Jacob, he sees an opportunity to make a profit here, to make a deal with his brother. And so of all the things that he could ask for, he asks for his birthright. So what's the birthright? Let's answer this question. The birthright was a sacred privilege that was given specifically to the eldest son of a family. And in this case, it was Esau. And with this came leadership of the family. Uh, in the time of Jacob and Esau, it was very much still a structure, a family structure built around a patriarchal system. And so when uh, your father died, you would then, the eldest son, would then become the new leader of the family. And you would, uh, you know, guide and lead your family and everyone involved in that. 
Now, some have also suggested that the leader of the family would then have the privilege of the priestly services, or just any of the religious services that were involved. Uh, this was before the Levitical priests were around, so many suggest that this was uh, how the priesthood, priesthood, or the acts of sacrifice would have been conducted. It would have been conducted by the eldest uh, of the family. Now, in terms of material possessions, whoever got the birthright got twice as much as the younger brother. They got a double portion of their father's inheritance. So, when everything was split up after their father died, the person who had the birthright got twice as much of the material possessions as the younger brother. And finally, it also included the covenant made with Abraham. Abraham was uh, their grandfather. There was Abraham, Isaac, and then Jacob and Esau. And God had made a promise to Abraham that all nations would be blessed through him, and that uh, through his line, through his family, the Christ or the promised Savior would eventually come. With that even also uh, came the promise of the promised land that was given to Abraham and his people. So all of these things would have been given to the firstborn. These are all by birthright Esau's to have. And that's a lot of things. In terms of material possessions and uh, things that Esau was going to have in his life, this is pretty much all of it. This is everything that Esau really will ever get. An interesting thing to note is this also wouldn't just have impacted Esau, but also his wife and his children. Uh, especially because of the lack of material possessions, that would directly impact his family. So, of all the things that Jacob could ask for, Jacob asks for the one thing uh, that Esau would, you'd think would never want to part away with. The, Jacob asks for everything that Esau will ever have in his life. So let's read and see what Esau's response is in verse 32. And Esau said, look, I'm about to die, so what is this birthright to me? Already I don't like the sounds of where Esau's going with this. He seems to not care about his birthright. But his birthright is everything that he's ever going to have. Why is he so dismissant about having his birthright? Biblical scholars have come up with a few different ideas as to what Esau means when he says he's about to die. The uh, first reason... The first reason is immediately from hunger. We know that he'd been hunting all day and he'd just come back and he's probably really hungry, but a lot of people have also said this probably isn't the uh, correct interpretation. If Jacob is really just in the tents, even if he's a little far off and has just been cooking outside of the tents where their family have been, Esau just has to walk a little further and he'll find food in his father's tents, or really anyone's tents that's in his family. He only has a short distance to go, so for him to die of hunger before he gets there is a little bit preposterous. And if in fact that was Esau's thinking, it sounds like he was probably just exaggerating a bit. But another uh, option has been suggested, and that is that he was going to die eventually by various uh, causes. One was his risky livelihood. He was always going out, he was hunting, uh, he was going, you know, going up against wild animals. What happened if one day, the wild beast got the best of him, and he was the one who didn't return home. So he had a risky livelihood where his chances of survival were lower than that of Jacob's who stayed at home all day. Uh, secondly, 
it could have been because of a famine in the land. If you read in chapter 26, the very first verse of the next chapter says there was a famine in the land. And if we're to put that in uh, time contextually wise, it could be a little bit after this story or it could be during. So people have suggested it may be to do with a famine. And finally, it could have just been because of natural causes, uh, old age and sickness. Jake, uh, Esau might have just thought, I'm going to die eventually. By the time I get my birthright, I'm nearly going to be dead anyway. So what is it of any use to me if I'm just going to die and then it goes on and on and on? It's of no real use to me here and now. So that's probably what Esau meant when he says, look, I am about to die. So Esau's been made an offer. And it's a pretty bad offer. Everything that he will ever have in life for a bowl of stew. It's not a very good deal at all. That's got to be one of the uh, prime examples of having something of such high value and you're being presented with something that is of low value. Now let's see if Esau really will make this trade. Let's read in verses 33 and 34. Then Jacob said, Swear to me of this day. So Esau swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. Then he ate and drank, arose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Esau had something of such immeasurable value and he decided to exchange it for something of such little value. Everything that he would ever have was given to him in this birthright that was owed to him as the eldest child of the family and yet he was willing to give it all up then and there for a bowl of stew. This was in fact the very same inheritance that God had given to his uh, father and to his grandfather and he decided that that was worth nothing more to him than a pot of stew. Now sure Esau gave excuses about how he thought he was going to die but if you consider that he should have trusted God to protect him, and considering that the Messiah was going to have to come through his bloodline anyway, Esau really had no reason to exchange his birthright other than an impulse to satisfy his immediate desires. Esau was so concerned with immediate satisfaction and gratification of his hunger that he lost sight of the most valuable thing that he had. Of course, he would be given his birthright in the future, if at all, he thought, but was the future so distant that he was willing to exchange it for something of so little value? Ellen White writes in Patriarchs and Prophets, And for a dish of red pottage, he, Esau, parted with his birthright. A short time at most would have secured him food in his father's tents, but to satisfy the desire of the moment, he carelessly bartered the glorious heritage that God himself had promised to his fathers. His whole interest was in the present. He was ready to sacrifice the heavenly to the earthly to exchange a future good for a momentary indulgence. Ronald Wayne at least made some money when he sold his 10% in Apple. He at least got something back of some value and with the information he had at the time, it's hard to criticize him for not wanting to give away that stake. That deal made sense at the time. But what Esau is doing makes no sense at all. To give up everything that you ever have for a bowl of stew, are you, do you have to be really that hungry? That you have to satisfy your desires that instant? That has got to be one of the worst deals in history. 
and a prime example of someone willing to buy high and sell low, to give away something of immeasurable value for something of no worth at all. Now, everyone criticizes Esau for making possibly the worst deal in business history. But if we're to evaluate ourselves, are we at risk of making a similar trade? Or have we, in fact, already made this trade in the past? Just like Esau, we have all been given an inheritance of immeasurable value. And to learn what this inheritance is, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians chapter 1, we can begin to understand what this inheritance is that God has given to us. Ephesians chapter 1, and we'll begin in verse 11 and 12. In him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased glory uh, of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. So Ephesians says that we have an inheritance that God himself has given to us. And if you notice, it comes through trusting in, uh, referred to as he, referring to Jesus. Once we trust in Jesus and we're sealed with the Holy Spirit, we're given an inheritance. And to put it briefly, that inheritance is eternal life and salvation. All of us have sinned and broken God's law, the wages of sin, uh, of which the punishment for that is death, caused by Satan and sin entering the world. But God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus Christ, to die for us, and he conquered death, conquered sins, so that we no longer have to face that judgment. And that's the inheritance that he offers to each one of us. We're able to, uh, we all have the opportunity to accept the sacrifice that Jesus made for us, and to take that, and on the judgment day, to be able to not be uh, looked at as guilty, but instead would God look at us and see us as innocent. This is the inheritance that we all have, and we have the opportunity to be sealed with by the Holy Spirit. Each and every one of us can accept this, but so often, like Esau, people are willing to trade their eternal inheritance for immediate gratification. So often, that inheritance of eternal life and salvation seems so far in the future, and we feel things here and now, and often we will trade them, uh, we will trade that eternal inheritance in the future for immediate gratification now. I really like how David Guzak in the Blue Letter Bible says it. He says, why did Esau sell out? History shows that men prefer illusions to reality, choose time rather than eternity, and the pleasures of sin for a season rather than the joys of God forever. Men will read trash rather than the word of God and adhere to a system of priorities that leaves God out of their lives. Multitudes of men spend more time shaving than on their souls, and multitudes of women give more minutes to their makeup than to the life of the eternal spirit. Men still sell their birthright for a mess of pottage. To me, that was a really impactful commentary when I first read it. The fact that People still do the exact same thing that Esau did. This wasn't a one-off instance. 
Esau isn't the only person who's ever bought high and sold low in history and made a bad trade, selling his future inheritance for something here and now. I just like the way he says that men still sell their birthright for a mess of pottage. That could be you, that could be me, and unfortunately, that's a lot of people in the world today. We sometimes lose sight of our inheritance in the future and exchange it for something of so little value as the pleasures of this world. Forget Ronald Wayne or Esau, to trade your eternal salvation and uh, being able to live with God in heaven for sinful desires here and now, that's got to be one of the worst trades ever. And you'll notice that sometimes people don't even trade their eternal inheritance for something that in and of itself is sinful. A lot of the time we can talk and refer to sin, but sometimes people are willing to sacrifice it for something that really isn't even sinful. For example, wealth is a thing that a lot of people trade for. There's nothing inherently evil or sinful about money. Money is just something uh, that we use in society, and it helps us. It helps us to buy food and clothing, all the essentials. It's an essential part of life. However, when it becomes the sole focus of a person's life to gain as much wealth as possible, it has the potential to distract people away from their eternal inheritance and to distract them away from God. You'll find that a lot of times when people have material possessions, they no longer feel the need uh, for God or for anything spiritual, and by no means do they feel the need for their eternal inheritance. Other things like perhaps fame or popularity. That's just a basic human desire to want to feel as though you belong to a group. But again, if it becomes the sole focus to please everyone and to be adored by everyone, we often find that at times that can indulge a bit of our pride, but also, again, it can distract us away from God and our eternal inheritance. Success is another one. A lot of people are driven by success, and you'll find that uh, a lot of the time in people's jobs. And some people are so focused on succeeding and wanting to work as hard as possible, you might call it a workaholic, they work as hard as possible and they neglect time to spend with God. They may neglect that internal inheritance in order to do something here and now. And it's a dangerous decision that we can all sometimes slip into. This isn't just for people who haven't uh, yet made that decision to accept that inheritance. All of us at times can sometimes feel tempted to make that swap. In that moment when there is temptation, we can sometimes still feel the desire to satisfy that immediate uh, desire and get that gratification and maybe just swap the internal, internal inheritance. We have the opportunity to receive the one thing in this world of the highest value and yet sometimes we can endanger it by exchanging it for something so low as sin or just things of the world. A trade as ridiculous as Esau's bowl of stew. However, possibly the most terrifying thing about making such a tragic trade is the impact it can have on other people. We may not realize it, but every single action we do has consequences. Esau made a terrible trade, and remember that we said before, this wouldn't just impact him, but his wife, his children, his family. It would impact everyone that he was responsible for or he took uh, care of, because he missed out on all of those things in the birthright that he just gave over to Jacob. Now, eventually, uh, when you read in Genesis, later on, Jacob and Esau actually come together and settle their differences. That's after a long period of, period of time, but eventually they do reconcile together. But that doesn't necessarily mean that 
the sons of Esau felt the same way, or in fact his wife felt the same way, or really anyone that Esau's actions impacted. Just because Esau reconciled with Jacob doesn't mean everyone else did. And you'll find that this really was the beginning of a tension between the two countries of Israel, uh, Jacob's descendants, and Edom, Esau's descendants. This really is where it began. And you'll find that all throughout the Bible, Israel and Edom are constantly fighting one another. For example, when Israel was leaving through the Exodus, they had just escaped Egypt, they wanted to pass through the kingdom of Edom. But the king of Edom said, sorry, you can't pass through what was referred to as the king's highway. You can't, refer, you can't pass through Edom, forcing the Israelites to make a long detour all the way around the city's borders if they wanted to prevent a war. Later on, uh, under King Saul and King David, there was a lot of battles between the Edomites and the Israelites, and eventually the Israelites even uh, overthrew the Edomite nation. However, later on, the Edomites would be conquered by King Nebuchadnezzar. And during the time when King Nebuchadnezzar was plundering the city of Jerusalem, the Edomites came and they helped. The Edomites came, they helped slaughter the people of Jerusalem, they plundered it, they took everything they could, and they turned their back on the Israelites and instead helped the Babylonian nation. In fact, the entire book of Obadiah is just one big prophecy written towards the people of Edom, telling them that because of their sins, God is going to judge them. And sure enough, as Obadiah prophesied, the Edomites were eventually invaded by the Nabataean Arabs, uh, history tells us. And then in AD 70, the Romans overthrew those people, and the Edomites effectively just disappeared from recorded history. After AD 70, the nation just seemed to stop to exist and that was the end of Edom. And the sad thing is that all of this probably could have been avoided if Jacob, if Esau had not made that decision. All of it could have been avoided were it not for one bowl of stew. Because it was that decision that Esau made and it was the deception of Jacob that started the tension and animosity between the two nations and would eventually result in a bitter, bitter rivalry which led to all of these events. Today, many people still decide to trade away their inheritance for eternal life, or just for the things of this world. And that choice can really impact anyone in our lives. It doesn't just impact us, but it can impact other people. It can impact friends, it can impact peers. Uh, for those who are parents, it can even impact children. There are a lot of things, there are a lot of people in our lives that our decisions can really have an impact on. Our choices can impact those, and such an important decision as this should not be taken lightly, because it may not simply be our own eternal lives or our own salvation that we are sacrificing, but we may inadvertently lead others to lose their inheritance. So the real question that we're left with today is, what are you willing to trade for your inheritance? Notice that that question can be read two ways. It can be read as, what things in the world are you willing to give up to receive that inheritance, and it could also be read as what things in the world are you willing to take in order to give away that inheritance. It can be read both ways. It makes no logical sense to buy high and sell low, 
We all have something of such immeasurable value and we all have the opportunity to accept the inheritance that God has given us of eternal life and salvation. And though the world may distract us with desires that satisfy us for the moment, those moments, in those moments of choice, I pray that we will all cling to our precious inheritance, given to us by God and purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. Let us not lose sight of the future and trade the gift of salvation for something of so little value. Let us instead hold fast to salvation in Christ Jesus and not trade it 